Pastors Larry and Tiz Huck welcome you to this weekly Torah study from New Beginnings Church in Bedford, Texas, taught by Pastor Scott Sigmund. We pray this message will help you better understand how God's Old Testament wisdom and New Testament revelation are meant to jointly fit together. Welcome to Torah study. Good to see everybody in the house of the Lord. God is good, and uh, we've, we've come through the book of Genesis. And now, today, uh, we begin our first study in the book of Exodus. Uh, and uh, it uh, covers Exodus 1 through Exodus 6. And um, there's many, as you know, uh, any Torah study has many themes you could cover. Uh, today, I want to talk a little bit about Israel in Egypt and the sufferings that they went through for a couple hundred years of slavery. And uh, the, the message uh, is entitled, A Biblical Understanding of Sufferings. Now, obviously, you can't get into everything in 45 minutes, but I want to touch on a few important concepts and principles from the Word of God to help us process some things and understand some things from the heart of God, the mind of God, from the Bible, uh, uh, in order to better equip us and better help us understand when we're going through things how we need to respond. As they said, life is 10% of what happens to you and 90% of how we respond. So may we learn and grow and mature uh, in a biblical understanding of when we're going through the valley of the shadow of death, what are we seeing? What are we saying? How are we responding to that? And the more we line up with the Word of God, the better the outcome. Amen. So we're uh, in the book of Exodus we, we've seen the movie, we've read the scriptures, we know what Charlton Heston did, we know what God did. Uh, but, it, it, you know, in a nutshell, obviously, it's the physical and spiritual birth of Israel as a nation. Uh, Genesis describes the family affair, the family matters. And now we're going into a transition uh, from family to a nation. Uh, and even though Joseph saved the family and saved Egypt from a devastating worldwide famine, from economic collapse, uh, and not only did he save it, he brought them great prosperity and great blessing. People were liking this. I like what Joseph's doing. Give me more of that. That's, uh, that's what we're seeing there. But a new Pharaoh, uh, Exodus says, came to power. Now, it's debatable. Is it a new Pharaoh? Is it the same Pharaoh that has selective amnesia? But uh, whatever was going on there, they forgot about what Joseph did. They forgot their history. That Joseph and the Jews saved us and our kosher bacon. 
And then, obviously, when you get into when strife and division start coming in, the Bible says there's every evil work. And so fear came in, paranoia came in, persecution came in, hate came in from the new Pharaoh, and he passed all of these governmental decrees against the Israelites. I don't know if you notice what's going on in our world today, but people still don't like the Israelites. And they continue to pass uh, evil, harsh decrees in the UN and in other places uh, to get the Jews out of existence. It's really a war against God. And, well, the Christians said, well, what does that matter? Because you're next. <laughs> right? You're next. Secular, anti-Christ, pagan people not only don't like the Jews, they don't like you because you believe in Jesus. And so, think about that. Chew on that over breakfast. Even today they're passing decrees that restrict religious faith. And we need more pastors that have a backbone... Pastors that are on TV, please say something. (laughs) Pastor Larry does. We We just had a recording on Thursday, four shows. Boy, did he let the anti Jesus, anti Jew, secular, human, paganistic people have it. (laughs) Look, there's people that uh, need to get, and there's enemies of the gospel. Right? There's enemies of the gospel. And they're irredeemable. They're going to bust hell wide open. And, and, but not every. Is it the sinners still our goal? They're not our enemy. But you've got to discern what's going on here. The people that are intentionally passing anti-Christ laws, they know what they're doing. All right. So Egypt's suffering, I mean Israel's suffering in Egypt. They're in slavery. Over 200 years of slavery. The exile, the 400 year thing, comes from the time that Isaac was a sojourner in his own land. That's when the clock starts on the 400 years. But once the family, they're in it's 210 years of uh, progressive, getting worse and worse and worse, and a lot of it was taxation. It started with heavy taxation, taking everything that uh, came in the form of prosperity in people's lives and reimagining how to use it. <laughs> Sound familiar? But, praise God, the lowest moments in Israel's history led to their greatest victories in Israel's history. Amen? And so that's, we're talking about, of course, the miracle of Passover, the, the plagues, the Passover, and the Exodus. Now this is fascinating because Moses, later on, after the 40 years in the wilderness, he, writing the book of Deuteronomy in Deuteronomy 4.20, he describes uh, the Exodus and this period in Jewish history as an iron furnace. 
And there's a connection with that and what we're talking about with uh, a biblical understanding of sufferings. Uh, It says in Deuteronomy 4.20, The Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be his people and inheritance as you are this day. Yeah, so even in the iron furnace... Even the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego type experience, God had a plan. And though the devil seems like he had him right where he wanted him, God had other ideas. And God's way and God's word and God's rule prevailed. The great late Rabbi Rashi from the Middle Ages defines the word furnace as a vessel within which gold is purified. A vessel with which gold is purified. So, in the Jewish understanding of the iron furnace, God sent the Jewish people into the hottest furnace because he knew how valuable their mission was and how valuable their purpose was as a nation. And he knew what they would become once they came out, and they would come out of the iron furnace. He knew what they would become. That's why uh, it's important to look at your life not as a, you're not a human being, as much as you're a human becoming. Right? We're to become something. And sometimes the iron furnace is used to help purify us. Because that's how the purest gold is made. So if you've been going through something, rejoice in the Lord, not because you went through it, but because God brought you through it, and you're alive and still standing. And just like Israel, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, someone who's been called out of darkness into the kingdom of light. And God considers uh, you a treasured people. You're called, anointed, appointed to be a light to the world. That was Israel's mission, to be a light to the Gentile nations. You'll be a prototype nation that the nations of the world, the pharaohs of the world, the dictators and tyrants of the world will see your way is wrong. And that's what was going on in Egypt. The, the plagues were God's way of saying what your society and culture is built on ain't right. And progressively, I'm going to give you a chance to change. Egypt went through their own iron furnace, but they didn't change. A couple of them came out, but by and large, no, let's, uh, they, they weren't changing. So the iron furnace becomes part of God's process. And it's used to purify and mold people, to perfect people, and bring them out of whatever trial or tribulation or suffering or pain they're going through, purified with spiritual qualities. And in Israel's case, those qualities needed to last thousands of years. It couldn't die out with the wilderness generation. Something had to be done that would make the 3,500 years later, here we are. And Israel and the Jewish people are still standing. And I don't know uh, uh, how 
much of a relationship you have with uh, spiritual Jewish people. I've had quite a few experiences over the last 12, 15 years uh, with government leaders, with uh, regular folk uh, here in America, in the land of Israel, and in other places. And they all have this unique empathetic quality that is, I still struggle to understand how on earth are, do you have in your disposition and personality such a compassion and a concern and a care and just a, an empathy for others. And you can trace it all the way back to Egypt and the Iron Furnace. So, thank God that what the devil meant for evil in Egypt through Pharaoh, God used it for the long-term good of Israel, and the plan for Israel ain't over, as replacement theology might tend to teach. God's done with Israel, church has replaced Israel, and blah, 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 yada, 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 no, 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 that's not right. (laughs) So in a general sense, fire can either destroy life or preserve life. Okay. Rabbi Schneerson, the late uh, great Rabbi Schneerson, who was in Brooklyn, he, he died in 1994. He, he uh, was considered the top, and still to this day, uh, he's revered at more than any other rabbi. He wrote once that uh, the iron furnace burned away the dross covering the Jewish soul. So in order for Israel to reach their highest heights and become the spiritual and moral conscience of the world, which is why... Obviously, there's so much demonic resistance. We can't, we can't have the Bible define what's moral, can we? <laughs> and for it to last a thousand generations, Israel needed a refiner's fire. The refiner's fire. Uh, write these down, flip through your Bible. Here's a couple scriptures. Hebrews 12, 29. Our God is a consuming fire. A lot of different aspects to what that means. Take it personal. Our God is a consuming fire. Psalm 66, 10. For you, O God, have tested us. You have refined us as silver is refined. Hmm? Yeah, right on. Proverbs 17.3 The refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. 1 Corinthians 3.13 Each one's work will become clear. For the day, judgment day, will declare it. Because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. 
That's just a small sampling of what's in the Bible when you start looking at the big picture of what's going on in our Father's world. Yes, there's mercy. Yes, there's grace. Yes, there's the goodness of God. Yes, there's the love of God. Yes, God knows our infirmities and He identifies with our infirmities and He'll always provide a way out. And yet, there's fire involved many times. And some of us have gone through some fire. Your family, your family history, there's a history of your family going through some heavy-duty fire. And all your relatives, your, uh, your ancestors didn't go through all that fire to have you blow it now. <laughs> so be strong in the Lord. Persevere. Carry on. In God's world, there's always a testing by fire for the believer. It's hard to talk about this, you know, especially in the charismatic word of faith movement because we don't want to talk about that kind of stuff because we'd rather talk about we're living by faith, we're more than, and we are, and we do that. But it's just like the, the, uh, the sinners that go to church, they want to define everything solely by God's love. They don't want to have a discussion about the judgment of God. They just want to be evaluated based on solely the love of God, not the holiness of God. So, similar circumstances. In a biblical sense, fire does refer to trials and tribulations. But it's what the Lord uses to purify and sanctify and cleanse our soul. Nobody wants to sign up for it. Where's the line for (laughs) in the natural being tried by fire is the testing of a metal like silver gold which we've read to see if it stands up under pressure the purpose of the test isn't to hurt the object but to expose any hidden flaws any weaknesses before it's put into use. So there's some, you know, parallels there when we think about life. Now we're not going to sit in the midst of a trial and build a, a, a campsite there and just, come on, f- put more fire on me, Lord. We're not rejoicing for the suffering. We're rejoicing in the suffering. Okay. So when we go through trials and tribulations, it's okay to ask why, Lord. But as uh, uh, Pastor Keith Kraft once said when he came to our church back in Portland, he said, uh, always asking why leads to whining. That's always stuck with me, you know, 25 years later. I still think of that, you know. Okay, I want to, you know, whine and cry. Uh, Okay, you're going to be a whiner in this thing? Or are you going to rise up and say, just not ask the Lord why, but ask the Lord what? What? 
What do you want to perfect in me, Lord, as a result of this trial or tribulation? Don't hear that preached every day, right? Because we're word of faith, prosperity, blessing, and we should be. (laughs) Think of the alternative. But how do you explain these other things? Look at what uh, the Apostle Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1.7. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. Yeah. Okay, so the trial is proving something. Are you living by faith? Are you trusting God? Uh, the late great Pastor E.V. Hill, who came to our church many times, uh, his church in Los Angeles, he came uh, shortly after his wife died. And he teached, uh, he t- teached, he teached a sermon. <laughs> He taught a sermon, trust me. And when Evie Hill got to preaching, oh boy, he'd light a spiritual fire. Yeah, you'd sit up and pay attention. Evie, your wife has passed away. She's in heaven. Will you trust me? Peter goes on to say, your faith is being tested as a fire tests and purifies gold. Through your fa- though your faith is far more precious than gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Bible perspective on suffering. The suffering of our Jewish brothers and sisters at the hand of Pharaoh and the government actually helped Israel, even to this day, to be a nation highly sensitive to the sufferings of other people. When we were on our way to Haiti in 2010 to build that orphanage in Haiti, we started with a big, we bought a big uh, ship full of food and John and Luke and me and Pastor, we were down there with the, and then out of that came the orphanage. Uh, guess, guess who I sat next to on the plane? An Orthodox Jew. He had his tallit, he had all of his uh, artifacts, and we sat there and we talked about Jewish-Christian relations. The Jews were one of the first nations there, and typically they're always one of the first nations to respond to natural disasters. And I mentioned that. I've noticed this. Man, that is a quality, and I'm lacking that. God, give us all, give me especially, more of an empathetic quality. But it's traced back to the iron furnace. The qualities that God wanted refined in his holy people so that it could be a lasting legacy. Empathy, compassion, kindness. There's a Christian lesson in that. (laughs) Amen? Now, like I said, no one signs up for, where's the line form for the iron furnace? <laughs> Who's, who wants to get burned? <laughs> 
And the last thing we need to do is looking for reasons or creating self-inflicted reasons that lead to getting scorched. A lot of times we blame God for what we ourselves did. Uh Uh-oh. If you can't say amen, just say, oh, me. But what we're learning is that God wants us to develop the right qualities, the right attitude, when we find ourselves in the midst of a fire. Amen? Anybody ever heard of Pastor James, the half-brother of Jesus? who started the, he was head of the first church, the first messianic congregation in Jerusalem after the resurrection of the Lord. So what does he know? (laughs) He starts out his letter in chapter 1, verse 2, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, Consider it an opportunity for great joy. What the heck are you trying to say, Lord? I'm supposed to be joyful over the trouble? No, I want you to be joyful in the trouble. Bind the work of the devil, rebuke all the trouble, all the issues, but in the midst of that, don't lose your joy, don't lose your faith, don't lose your trust, don't lose your vision, don't turn away from God and run from God, let God embrace you, cast your cares on Him. When, you're, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Endurance. Meaning God just doesn't want you to be a shooting star. He wants you in it for the long haul. This isn't a 50-yard dash. This is a lifelong marathon with ups and downs. We pray there's more ups than downs. And the smarter we get, the more ups and less downs we have, the more wisdom we have, the more we take on the attitude of the Bible when it comes to sufferings, the the better it will be. So we rejoice going through the suffering, not because God uh, caused it or the devil caused it or there was an allowance of it, however it gets defined. And the reason why is God's always working behind the scenes. He'll never leave us or forsake us. He's trying to work something out out there and He's trying to work something out in here. So on the other side, you're better equipped, better prepared. And so this is where understanding the concept, the concept of sharing in and identifying in the sufferings of Jesus Christ. We've heard about that. It's in the Bible that we need to identify with the sufferings of Christ. But it's something that can be misunderstood. It's not There, the teaching isn't there, so we accept a life of suffering as our lot in life. Well, that's just, you got dealt a bad hand, uh, sorry, that's fate. 
No, that's not how God works. There's a national way that it works, and there's a personal way that it works. And it's built on uh, uh, adapting to and embracing and absorbing all of these Christ-like qualities. So, uh, it, it, it really is to learn how to go through life's trials with a sense of inner strength. With a sense of inner joy. I'm watching Jesus. I'm reading. I see the passion of the Christ. I see the sufferings that he went through. I don't need to crawl on my knees for 30 miles and flog myself every Easter to identify with the sufferings of Christ. But I can, through the power of the Word, the Holy Spirit, I can gain a level of understanding of what Christ went through to redeem us so that I will appreciate and be thankful and grateful for what the Lord has done and then be able to share it with others. It's to understand the damage that sin does. The suffering that sin brings. And that Christ redeemed us from that. And so, that's why Isaiah 53, in talking about the Messiah, He bore our sickness and carried our pain. He bore our suffering. So that we would have to do a lot less suffering. And a lot more living... The good news. Did you know that the the purpose of the temple sacrifices, there were different purposes, but one of the purposes uh, is to identify with suffering. See, most people think the temple sacrifice was a drive-by thing. You just kind of drove by the temple, kind of pushed your lamb out the, the back door and sped away as fast as you could. But that's not what was happening. The, the individual would bring a lamb and go through the gates and march up the brazen altar ramp with the priest. You're standing right there at the brazen altar with the priest who's got a knife. And he gives you the knife. <laughs> What do you want me to do with the knife? You sin, my brother. You sin, my sister. And the only remedy for sin is the shedding of innocent blood. And you're going to be the one to shed innocent blood so that you can be redeemed. Boy, if we had to do that today, <laughs> be a lot less sin. <laughs> or there'd be, the church would be a lot less full. <laughs> Where'd everybody go? (laughs) But why? So each person would individually go through a near-death experience and learn what's required for forgiveness and redemption and be more empathetic about it. Yeah? To identify with the suffering. Now, I mean, when you think about why why did Christians have a a new and better covenant? Because we don't have to do that. I mean, that's like 
the big thing. (laughs) Christ died as the perfect Lamb of God once and for all, so we don't have to march up the brazen altar anymore, and the priests give us a knife, and we we kill the uh, innocent Lamb. That's a pretty good deal. So now... You know, everyone should be required to have to watch the Passion once a year. To reconnect with the sufferings. To wake us up to some things so that we live the kind of quality life the Lord died to give us. Amen? So praise God. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 3 says, What a wonderful God we have. He is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the source of every mercy, and the one who so wonderfully comforts and strengthens us in our hardships and trials. Hallelujah. And why does He do this? So when others are troubled, needing our sympathy and encouragement, we can pass on to them the same help and comfort God has given us. That's the gospel, folks. We look at what Christ did, and we appreciate it so much, we're so grateful, and we understand it at a level that uh, whatever sufferings He went through, whatever sufferings you're going through, God is going to bring a miracle healing and deliver you from a fiery furnace. Along the way, it would help to ask, what do you want me to learn out of this, Lord? What do you want me to perfect within this fiery furnace? So that would help too. Now there's an age-old question of whether God uses and even causes suffering to teach us a lesson. No one can answer that with a one-size-fits-all theological answer. Please, don't think that one-size-fits-all when it comes to the wisdom of God. Christians, denominations, we fall into that trap all the time. There's only one way this can mean. I knew a a, a brother that would always uh, say that until the gospel is preached, the rapture cannot come. Until the gospel is preached around the world, the rapture will not happen. And he would always kind of throw that out there... uh, as a way to stump me. And finally, God, i got to have an answer to this. And, and God said, well, why, is, why, do, why, does it, why do you think that the rapture is the end? The rapture is not the end. The rapture is only the end for the church. During the tribulation, the gospel will still be preached. During the thousand-year reign of Christ, the gospel will still be preached. So does the end happen like he was trying to entrap me in some way and make me feel less because I didn't have... No. And finally, I said, no, brother. The the end isn't the... The end for you may be the... But what about thousands, millions of... 
even at the end of the thousand year reign of Christ, when the devil is released, he'll go about deceiving nations. And then the end will come, the Bible says. So, there's different ways to understand things. And for me to assume, for you to assume that we've learned it all. <laughs> so there's no one size. But uh, we, can better, uh, we can try to better understand things based on God's Word and biblical examples. For example, as informing Israel as a nation. Does God cause a fiery furnace to happen? Yes, in exceptional circumstances. There are going to be out-of-the-ordinary circumstances that go beyond the norm. Israel be Noah's flood. The sufferings of the Lord during the Passion Week. Even the judgment that comes on the world during the Great Tribulation. These are extraordinary, exceptional circumstances. And they should be considered the exception and not the rule. God's judgment can bring suffering, but there's always this huge grace period. Why? Because 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord isn't really being slow about His promise, as some people think. No, He is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. So there's this huge... Noah's grace period was a hundred plus years. Right? John 10.10 The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose, Jesus said, is to give them a rich and satisfying life. See, that's the heart of God. If it takes exceptional circumstances, those will be on the way. (laughs) I'm going to put it off as long as possible. Any parent or grandparent understand that with kids. (laughs) I'm going to put off the fire as long as possible. Romans 2.4 says, don't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that His kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? So God is a gracious Father. He wants the best. He's patient kind and gives us time to work things out but there are aspects of discipline and chastisement correction and rebuke if and when we miss the mark but what we need to understand is that God wants to primarily achieve this through his word Wouldn't you just rather have your grandson listen to you because you said so? Instead of invoking other levels of discipline, timeouts, applying the Board of Education to the seat of learning. Learning our lessons through the Word by being here today. Those of you watching by Zoom... That's what T 
typically will spare us from having to go to the school of hard knocks. Right? Judging ourselves and repenting from bad behavior without waiting for someone to throw the book at us prevents a stricter, tougher lesson plan. You want the easy lesson plan? You want the one plus one equals two lesson plan? Or do you want the calculus lesson plan? Isaiah 1, prophet Isaiah, if you're uh, willing and obedient, eat the good of the land. If you refuse and rebel, well, not so much. (laughs) Hebrews 12, 6, 7 says that God disciplines and chastises His children when they continually fail to learn life's lessons. The question is, is how? We're going to send an earthquake! What's your address again? (laughs) Send an earthquake. And that's the, the big difference of opinion in Christianity today about God's way of disciplining, God's judgment, the iron furnace. Many denominations want to point to every disaster, a tornado, an earthquake, a car accident, as somehow God was behind all of that. The Lord sent that catastrophe to teach you a lesson. Now, as I pointed out earlier, there may be some exceptional circumstances. Noah's flood, the great tribulation, big, huge things can happen. And sometimes, rarely, this is true. But for you and I, for most of us, day in, day out, ordinary people, ordinary living, uh, number one, let's not rush to judgment on what a catastrophe means. You don't need to be the first one out there on social media saying, God sent that to judge New Orleans. Oh, He did. As well, we can confidently say the vast majority of the time, God brings correction and judgment and chastisement, tests and things of that nature through His Word. Say, through His Word. The Lord's preferred method is amazing grace. (laughs) Right? My preferred method is amazing grace, saith the Lord. This, this is borne out in 2 Timothy 3.16. One of the great 3.16 scriptures. Every scripture is God-breathed, given by His inspiration, and profitable for instruction, reproof, conviction of sin, correction of error, and discipline in obedience. And training in righteousness, in holy living, in conformity to God's will, in thought, purpose, and action. So that the man of God, the woman of God, may be complete and proficient, well fitted and thoroughly equipped for every good work. So God's preferred method is read it, read the instruction manual, 
Let the Holy Spirit do His work and get, let's get lined up with this is how God does it. Talking about a biblical understanding of sufferings. Hopefully this sheds some light on the subject. And there's another aspect of suffering to touch on that brings healing. It brings comfort. It brings wholeness. And God is saying, if you've been experiencing any kind of trouble, any kind of pain and suffering, He wants you to know help is on the way. Help is on the way. But the help that's on the way needs you to partner with the help that's on the way. Don't be a hindrance to the help that's on the way. Be a receptacle for the help that's on the way. And Pastor James talks about this in James 5.13. Go over there. To James 5.13, is there any among you who are afflicted? Is there anybody out here who is afflicted? Let him pray. Are you afflicted? Pray. Are you going through something? Pray. Are you faced with impossible circumstances? Pray. This word afflicted describes something that is evil and is producing terrible effects like things that come with a devastating illness. It speaks to emotional and mental suffering, a broken heart. The biblical cure? God says pray. Oh, come on, help me now. God says pray. And here's where people often miss it. Although we do need to talk to others, it's better to pray with others and pray the the promise, not the problem. Oftentimes people talk about the size of the mountain instead of about the size of your God. We forget to cast the mountain into the sea and we amplify the problem and we don't amplify the promise. James says, is there any among you who are afflicted? Pray. Let the afflicted person what? Pray. Which means developing a closeness. This is why it's important to know more than Father, Son, Holy Ghost, who eats the fastest, gets the most. Nice to know a few more prayers than that one. Nice to know more prayers than now I lay me down to sleep. There's a closeness and intimacy And James is saying, when you're going through the iron furnace, pray. Seek the Lord. Seek His presence. Cast your cares upon Him in prayer. And the answers that you need to find a way out of this affliction, God will show you what it is. 
But our answer is in prayer and in His presence. 1 Peter 1.6 says, So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead. Even though the going is tough for a while down here, these trials are only to test your faith, to see whether or not it is strong and pure. It is being tested as fire tests gold and purifies it. And your faith is far more precious to God than mere gold. So if your faith remains strong, after being tried in the test tube of fiery trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor. Bam. All right. So I've got just a few moments. Got to wrap this up. I knew I had too many notes. But I want to quickly give you eight things that cause good Christian people to suffer. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do good Christian people go through things? Number one, a lack of knowledge. Many Christians suffer because they focus too much on worldly knowledge and not enough on Bible knowledge. Nothing wrong with knowing medical or legal knowledge. Probably helpful. But not at the expense of, what does God say about that? Oh, no. Wisdom is the principal thing. Get wisdom and with all you're getting, get understanding. Why do people go through things? Number two, sometimes it could be disobedience. We're hearers of the word, but we haven't become doers of the word. Yeah? And so God creates Torah studies. He creates people like pastors Larry and Tiz, people like me, other leaders, people in your family, wherever, to help you realize what manner of man or woman you're becoming. What's your attitude like? Your behavior like? Your conduct? Is it lining up with it? And if it doesn't, the Word needs to bring the correction. And there's a grace period. Down the road, if you don't learn the lesson from the Word, you may end up learning the lesson in a stricter, tougher way. Number three, why do people uh, go through stuff? Because it's a test of your faith and strength. God's, God's using it to see where you're at, helping you to see where, where am I at spiritually. Proverbs says, if I faint in the day of adversity, my strength is small. Yeah? Trials and tribulations are a way to test and measure our spiritual progress. I didn't go through that one very good, did I, Lord? (laughs) Forgot that lesson on joy. I'm sorry, Father. I'm going to work on that. Right? We're all going to miss the mark and come up short here and there. It's not a question of if you miss the mark. God will forgive you uh, seven times seventy if you miss the mark. His mercy endures forever. He wants amazing grace. It just helps along the way. I'm going to get this lesson down. <laughs> all right. Number four, a need for brokenness. A lot of times Christians are hot shots. 
Yeah, we're self-centered instead of Christ-centered. God doesn't want us to be broken the rest of our lives. God wants us to understand that these negative things of sin and pride and so on, uh, they, they are the things that uh, keep us uh, from being completely stripped down to receive the Lord so He can rebuild us in His image and we can go on to live a life of wholeness. Not a life of brokenness. Now, uh, Yeah, there's a, the humility part, I get that. But basically, I have come to make you every whit whole, Jesus said. Wholeness is the goal. But a lot of times it needs to come after brokenness. And that's what the altar call in the initial stages of being a new convert is all about. Number five, to build compassion. We talked about how God used the iron furnace for Israel to build empathy that would last generations. May all of us be filled with a fresh outflow of compassion and empathy towards our brothers and sisters. Amen. Number six, to encourage others. We just touched on that. God comforts you in your trials and tribulations, so you build that empathy, and in turn, you pay it forward. Have you ever thought the reason that you keep going through or around the same mountain is you forgot to pay it forward? We were on the way to the prayer meeting yesterday, uh, coming up 157, and there were some guys on a busy street standing on the corner collecting money. And my first inclination was, you know, uh, lock, lock my pockets! <laughs> But but earlier I had put on a pair of jeans. I had three dollars in this pair of jeans. I put and I said it to Lydia earlier in the morning. Look at honey, I got three dollars. <laughs> then I knew why I put on them jeans and the three dollars. So so okay, I came to my senses. I beeped the horn. We're like seven cars back. He's way. I beeped the horn and waved to him, and he came running down. He's a drug addict that got saved, and he handed us, a, and we handed, and Jesus loves you. God bless you guys. And I went down the beeping the horn, holding the little thing out the window that they gave, and then tried to encourage. Him. And that one little thing was important for me to remember. I need to show compassion. And number seven, because you believe God's Word. Stuff happens because you're a believer. Mark 4 talks about when trouble or persecution arises on account of the Word. You're studying the Word. And the devil doesn't like that. And so there's times when he comes and tries to knock you off your game because the more word you get, the more faith you get. And number eight, just because we live in this world, it's a fallen world, the rain's going to fall on the just and the unjust, but it's a question of will the rain wash you away? Or will it water you and cause you to grow and grow and grow and grow? Who's ready to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow? 
Amen. Well, if you receive that this morning and you're happy there's a breakfast, give the Lord a big hand clap. Love you guys.